Welcome to the First Pres podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you would like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Well, turn in your Bibles or tune into your Bibles or whatever you're, you're going to do with your Bible. Or pull a Bible out of the pew rack, but I encourage you to turn to Exodus chapter 20. Because we've started a new series called Lord, and we're looking at the Ten Commandments as read in Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to hear from verses 4 through 6 on the Second Commandment. As a reminder, each week we're asking you to, to walk out the hall to the Lord boards and take off a sticky note from that week and post that somewhere that you need a reminder in your life that you have a Lord. And this week, it's Lord of my heart. So I encourage you to grab that sticky note on your way out of church today. And as we're turning to Exodus chapter 20, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord our God, you speak to us with clarity. You speak to us with power. You speak to us with might. Break through anything that confuses or that draws us away from you and speak your holy word to us that we can walk in your light and in your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 20, verses 4 to 6. Hear the word of the Lord. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Amen. Lord of my heart. Well, we live, my family and I, we live in a, a neighborhood in the north end of town that was severely impacted by the Waldo Canyon fire six years ago in 2012. And I know you remember that fire, those of you who were in Colorado Springs. About 350 homes were destroyed. Lots of people were displaced from their homes for weeks and And it was a really challenging time. In our house, when we bought our house, they told us, yeah, all this had happened in the area and your house had had some uh, fire mitigation, some smoke mitigation, all that sort of thing to it. So it got us really thinking. And people came around us and said, what you need to do is put together a fire box. You need to have a box of of what you would want to grab and carry with you just in case the fire uh, started to threaten your home or your neighborhood and you had to, to get out of there. So you put your most prized possessions in one box that you're ready to grab and carry with you as you run. So we thought, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Well, yeah, thanks, we'll do that. But we never did. <laughs> and then just a couple of weeks ago, a fire sparked over on Rampart Range Road, and I, I kind of looked on, on a, a map and saw, boy, that's really close to... <laughs> where we are. And so that got me thinking again about this firebox. I said, well, yeah, we should probably do a firebox. And, and, um, but then that went out, so we didn't do it. <laughs> but we're going to do it. We should do it, and we will. We'll do it. Don't worry. But it's hard to do that. 
because of, for a number of reasons, but it really makes you think, what goes in the box? What, do you, what would you pick to put in the box that you can't do without? What sort of, th- I mean, I look at all my stuff in my house, and frankly, I like almost all of it. I mean, <laughs> there's stuff I could do without, but that's Abigail's stuff. You know? My stuff I like. Maybe we need two boxes or something. Then you compare the boxes, and I don't know. But what goes in the box? What is the stuff that you can't live without? What is the stuff that, that matters to you most? What goes in the box and what gets left behind? If your heart is a firebox, what goes in there first? Who's first in your heart? The second commandment is a very direct challenge. It's a very direct question. It's asking you, what is Lord of your heart? And it's a command against what we call idolatry. And we have a tendency to think, oh, idolatry, idol worship. That's something that used to happen long ago. Good thing we don't have any of that around here. Ancient people used to worship false gods, you know, idols, totems, lucky charms. But now we're we're not superstitious, we're sophisticated, we're modernized, so we don't have to worry about idolatry. We think of idolatry as something that's been eradicated, like smallpox or polio. We don't have to worry about that. You think? Actually, idolatry is the most pervasive, most common, most egregious, most rampant sin against God. And even if you're... If you're a believer today, if you follow Jesus, if you've been following Jesus for a long, long time, I think it creeps into your heart, and it does the most damage. See, you don't break any of the other commandments without first breaking this one. If you commit adultery, it's because you've, you've put love or, or physical relations up over your, your devotion to God. If you steal something, it's because you've put your desire for, for something up over your devotion to God. You see, if you, if you, um, if you murder, it's because you, first you disregard God. You, you disregard who He is and what He's commanded of us to love Him and to love neighbor. So you don't break any of the other commandments without first disregarding God and giving devotion to something else in your heart over the Lord. We are far from free of idols. We are thick with them. Martin Luther said, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. What does your heart cling to? What does your heart confide in? What goes first in the box? Whatever you can't live without, whatever you seek most to gain happiness, it starts to control you. The author Becky Pippert wrote, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. And we all have a Lord. Who is your Lord? See, the problem is that these idols are not dead, silent statues in the corner of the room. They actually start to act on us. They start to control us. They start to bind us, and we hang our hopes on them. 
and we rest our lives on them, and they are not strong enough hooks to hang our hopes on, and they are not firm enough foundations to build our lives on. Listen, if there is anything occupying the place of Lord in your life that isn't Jesus, you need a better Lord. You need a better Lord. Now, you really want to read verses 3 to 5 together. The first two commandments kind of blend together. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Well, that's everywhere, folks. That's, a, that's the whole deal. So you don't make for yourself an image out of anything in any of these areas. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Now, it isn't that we don't produce art. It, if you read just verse 4 as the second commandment, it, it looks as though we're not supposed to make anything at all. But it isn't that we don't produce beautiful, inspiring things. We make things. But don't take something in creation and make it an object of worship alongside or above the Lord your God. The things in creation are meant to reflect the Creator. And when we take a good thing, a beautiful thing, out of creation, and we make it an ultimate thing, well, then it begins to become an idol. And he says, you don't make these things in order to worship them. Well, worship, what worship can be a ritual act. It can be a communal ritual act like we do together. It shapes our hearts, it shapes our loves, it shapes our habits, it shapes who we are as a community of faith. But worship can also be simply that which you hold worthy in your heart. It's when you give something devotion. It's when you give it your, your love. You value it, you seek it. You give it your time and attention and you sacrifice for it. Don't take anything and make it more worthy than the one true God because that's when it goes off the rails. And it can be very subtle. See, we don't find ourselves, we may not find ourselves kneeling to a statue of Aphrodite in our age. But do we make sacrifices for health and beauty and fitness? Does a, does a healthy impulse to have a strong body sometimes kind of morph into something else that takes over a life. We don't uh, pour out wine or sacrifice animals to make business deals. In our, I hope you don't. You know, you sign it in triplicate and put the seal on it. That ought to do it. We don't do that sort of thing. But do we make sacrifices for wealth, for prestige, for success? Is it easy even to say that in pursuit of, of wealth and success, from time to time people make sacrifices to their family? They're not going to make a child sacrifice, but has a child been sacrificed along the way? You see these idols, they, uh, they creep in. They're pernicious. And before you know it, you're making sacrifices to something that simply isn't worthy of sacrifice. 
And the fight against idolatry has run straight through the Old Testament. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, there are 14 different synonyms used to describe idols and images and false gods. It's straight through the Old Testament you read about it. And so Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he says, God was saying in all that, God was saying that the human heart takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security, safety, and fulfillment if we attain them. But he goes on to say, in ancient times, the deities were bloodthirsty and hard to appease. They still are. They still are. We fashion idols out of all kinds of things. We have cultural idols, trends or common virtues that we're all chasing after, like economic prosperity or technological progress or even love of country. A patriotism can overtake someone and become almost a religious devotion. It become an idol. We have personal idols, things that are individual within us. Some people don't feel valuable unless they're the smartest person in the room, you know, they have an intellectual idol. Some people, they, they have an idol of physical fitness or the, their body image or, or, or love or performance. They have personal idols. There are even spiritual and religious idols. And all they need to do is pull us off track just the tiniest bit from our full devotion to Jesus. It might be a place of worship or some image of, of Jesus or, or an image that, uh, that we devoted ourselves to, a symbol or a trinket, and all of a sudden it just captures a bit of your heart. When I was an early Christian, I had my, my first uh, Bible, and I treasured it. I still do. I still have it. And it was the Bible that I first learned to study in and underline in and highlight in, and, and I realized that at some point that I wasn't sure if I could interact with God reading another Bible than that one particular Bible, you know? Like I just, that's where I was at home with the Lord. And What if I lost it? I had, when I went on the Southwest trip with Broadmoor Elementary School as a fifth grader, we went down to Santa Fe and I bought a little uh, silver cross. I want to say I bought it for 11 bucks. I'm, does that sound right? <laughs> I mean, it was cheap. I wore that thing and I didn't take that off until I was in my 20s. And sometimes I would, I would hold it and clasp it to pray and, and sometimes when I was sad and crying, I would hold it, I will clasp it. I'm not saying that that was an idol, but it crept into my heart as a precious thing and it gave me some anxiety. Would I still be able to pray if I couldn't find my necklace? You see? Would I still be able to interact with God if, if I lost my Bible? Would I still be able to, to have a relationship with Christ without these signs and symbols that I've become so attached to around me? Can I still hear from God? Can I, can I feel the presence of God if the camp where I first prayed, where I first met Jesus, what if that camp was sold off or burnt to the ground or could never be returned to again? You know, what are these things that we hold on to that have crept into our hearts and gotten a little too close. You think about this space where we worship. What about this sanctuary? Could I still have a relationship with God if all the sanctuary went away? Would I still know Jesus without 
you know, this red carpet or these chandeliers or, the, I mean, just, just anything, right? Would you? Yes. And what I'm saying is don't get attached to anything. Get attached to Jesus and get so devoted to him, so devotionally attached to him, so, so attached to him as your top and perfect love that there's nothing else that even casts a pall on his light. He is Lord of your heart, and he alone. So what's to be done? There isn't a single one of us in the room who isn't struggling with this tendency to allow other things into our lives that compete for devotion to the Lord. We all have them. We have these idols. And the trick is to root them out before they capture us and disappoint us. So God expresses his heart here in this passage says, verse 5, you shall not bow down to them. You shall not make an, an idol. And, and in verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Well, when we read about that God says, I'm a jealous God, that's not some sort of character flaw in the Lord. That's, that's not some brooding anxiety that God has that maybe he's not going to get enough attention from us. It's nothing like that. God is expressing his heart. He says, I know I'm the Lord your God. I'm the one who, who, who deserves that place in your heart, and you are mine. And so my heart is to grab a hold of you. My heart is to not see you chase false gods. He knows that he belongs to us and we belong to him. And he knows that disobedience can impact generations right down the line. A daughter can absorb the false devotion of a mother or, or a grandmother or, or, or a great-grandmother. And before you know it, three and four generations have wandered far away from the Lord. But look at this, one devoted disciple, one believer, fully devoted, can have a much greater impact to even to thousands of generations as the faithfulness of the Lord is passed on from one to the next. God's heart is not to leave us devoted to false gods, but to remove them, to set us free of them, to eliminate them entirely and show us the life that is truly life. Do you remember, some of you, what happened when Moses came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments? He comes down the mountain, and while he was gone, up on Mount Sinai, the people of God made for themselves an idol. Do you remember what it was? A golden calf. They said we just threw our gold into the fire and out popped this golden calf. Do you remember that? We don't know how it got here, but here, there it is. And so we were just worshiping it. You know, Moses was, he was furious. Literally, while he was on the mountain receiving the guidance of God, the Ten Commandments from the one true God who had just rescued them out of Egypt, who had just brought them out of slavery and into freedom, they, they make an idol for themselves in the intervening days. So what does Moses do? 
Well, he's enraged. It says in Exodus 32, 20, and he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it into powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Well, that's one method. (laughs) You know, that ought to do it. Pretty dramatic. You say, you, you want to worship this gold, you love this gold cow so much? You love it so much? Well, why don't we just make a smoothie out of it and you can... <laughs> and I'm not sure what happens when you drink gold dust. It can't be anything good, you know? Jesus had the same thing in mind when he said to the people, look, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew six twenty one, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The idol Jesus noticed in in his people and the people around him that he spoke on again and again and again was the idol of money. He said in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. They're going to pull you. It's going to pull you. They're polar, and they're going to pull you one side or the other. So he says, you have to choose. Who do you choose? What do you love more? What do you put your hope in? Where do you place your confidence, your security, your safety? What is it that you cannot live without? To lose this thing would be to lose your very will to live. It's the last thought in your mind as you go to sleep. It's the first thought in your mind when you wake up in the morning. Where is your heart? Jesus says, be very, very careful to worship the Lord your God for where your heart is, where your treasure is. Your heart's going to follow. Choose and love Jesus more. Because when your heart is set on a false God, you'll eventually come to the moment of painful and dramatic disenchantment. Where we lived in the north metro suburbs of Atlanta, there was a common sort of cultural story. And, uh, and it, went, it went like this. They'd say, we moved to Atlanta because we both got jobs out of college and wanted to work downtown, and we got great jobs. We got a house downtown and married and wanted to stay down in the city. We had kids, and we were going to stay, but the schools are rough and the private schools are expensive, so we moved to the suburbs for the kids. And the sacrifice, you see, was made for the kids. The commute to work is for the kids. The one parent who stops work stops work for the kids. The home that's bought is for the kids. The sports are for the kids. The vacation is for the kids. In the absence of anything else that we can agree upon in common in a confused culture, we can all agree that a sacrifice is always worthy if that sacrifice is, say it with me now, for the kids, right? But do you see what the problem is? Do you see what happened? It might make perfect sense. But those little kids, they've become gods. 
And every sacrifice, every painful moment, it's all bent toward them. And you know what? Those little kids, they don't know how to be God. And so the crisis comes when the family system falls in on itself and collapses when that little kid, they, they don't perform as they ought. They don't, they don't take advantage of every opportunity that's been put in front of them through all this sacrifice that the entire family system has made. They fall off the achievatron, <laughs> as David Brooks puts it. And the whole family doesn't know what to do. And the collapse is painful. The same thing happens with the woman who's devoted herself to physical exercise all her life and then meets with an illness and watches her body deteriorate and it's out of her control. The man who's invested his life in investment banking and making wealth and has worked 80 hours a week and then the market collapses. It's entirely out of his control and he loses everything. The, 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 you know, the, uh, the couple who poured their whole heart into a house only to have it burned to the ground overnight. The pastor addicted to fame who suddenly finds out people don't like him all that much anyway. <laughs> the blogger who's addicted to likes. The, the high schooler who's, whose life is her social network and she suddenly finds that her reputation has been destroyed like that on Instagram. The sudden collapse when you've rested your hopes on a false god, when you've pursued a false idol, the sudden collapse is, friends, it's dark. And it hurts all those around. There is only one God worthy to be God. There is only one Lord who can be Lord of your heart. Any other hook you hang your hopes on will fall. Any other foundation, any other rock you attempt to build your life on, it will not hold up under the pressure of your life. There is one foundation, there is one Lord, one God, one name under heaven to be praised and worshiped and adored. And how do you root out false idols? Friends, it comes down to what Jesus said to his friend Peter after he was resurrected and they met on the beach and he asked Peter, he said, do you love me more than these? And we don't know at all what Jesus was talking about when he said these And I'm telling you, you don't have to know because it's every single thing. Jesus says, do you love me more? You want to root out the idols? You just ask, do you love Jesus more? You grow in your love and devotion to Jesus. You worship Jesus. You lift up his name higher and higher. You worship and adore the one true God. And you hang your life on him. And before you know it, you see these other things that you were pursuing, these other things that you were sacrificing for, and they find their proper place. It isn't that they're evil things. It's that they're good things, but they're not the ultimate thing. And when they take the place of the ultimate thing and you're giving your sacrifice to them, friends, they'll collapse on you. And they'll hurt your heart and they'll hurt those around you. Do you love Jesus more? There is only one who has proven worthy to be praised. Only one who died and rose again and proved that he can hold your life in his hands straight through death and into eternal life. Don't make an idol. 
Do not make for yourselves anything in all of, of created heaven and earth to worship as God. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. He is Lord of your heart. Let's pray. Lord, you ask us again in your mercy and in your grace. You ask us again and again and again, do you love me more than these? So help us, Lord, in our lives to root out anything that is drawing our hearts away from you, to root out any attachment that might pull us away from our life in you, knowing that the only way for us to be free is to love you more. So train our hearts, Lord, to follow and to love and serve you. And we thank you for your gracious mercy ever calling us home. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And the people all said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.first-prez.org.